Hello and welcome to a special edition of Interval, the Norwich Theatre Royal podcast. With a new episode releasing each month, this show will bring you exclusive news, views, interviews and behind-the-scenes content. We'll have the latest information for shows and events at Norwich Theatre Royal, Norwich Playhouse and our Learning and Participation Centre, Stage 2. If you're interested in the performing arts in Norfolk, then this is the podcast for you. In this special bonus episode, we recap some of the best moments of the 2019 Theatre Royal Open Day, as well as catch up with one of the guests at the event, popular panto performer David Gant, who plays Baron Hardup in this year's pantomime Cinderella. A queue of people were waiting down Theatre Street for the doors to open at 10am, ready to take part in today's free event. Panto stars Amanda Henderson and Joe Tresini met the first guests at the door before people took part in a host of Cinderella-related activities, a chance to see into the dressing rooms, look at the sound and lights, and even walk across the stage as though you were the star of the show. Tim went out to ask visitors, young and old, what they thought of the day. What was the favourite thing you did? Uh, make cookies. You made cookies? What did you make for cookies? Icing. What was your favourite part backstage? Um, seeing where the band goes. Brilliant. Really, really worth the effort of coming here today. Is this your first open day this year? Yes. And how have your kids or grandkids found the experience of being here? They're enjoying it really, really much. Very, very good. Yeah. Which has been your favourite activity today? I would say face painting. This is our first time to open day. Well, I think we've got, we're supposed to be shopping, but I think it's going to be a job getting them out of here. Well, obviously the activities and the fun, and it's, it's great to see behind the scenes at the, at the theatre. He also caught up with front of house manager Helen Tully to get her feedback on open day 2019. It's been incredibly busy, yet yeah, really successful. I've seen lots of um, new faces and some familiar faces um, to regular friends that come to the theatre, friends of the theatre. But it's been really nice to see the families and what has been the favourite part of the I think um, just spreading the news about what we do that they don't necessarily know. So for me, I've been manning the environmental stand, so letting them know about all our environmental work that we do at the theatre to try and reduce our impact on the environment and um, just opening people's eyes that we're not just a theatre. And how do you think the theatre world really boosts the family experience? Well, things like today, like the open day, getting the children on stage and letting them see it from a different perspective and um, and making them feel comfortable inside the auditorium, things like that, it it really helps with families bringing their children here. But apart from today, I think um, putting on the the range of of performances that we do and the variety of performances that we do really appeals to the younger audiences and maybe the slightly older children. I think we've got a really good variety of shows that we put on for everyone. Amazing, thank you very much. And can you just explain what we're doing with a lot working? So, um, apart from the environmental work, I am also front of house manager. So, I run the shows from the front of the curtain. Everything that happens, the customers experience when they arrive in the building. Um, just making sure everyone has a fabulous time when they're with us. One of the open day VIPs and panto star, David Gant, also entertained audiences with some reminiscences of his long and successful performing career as Interval went live. Let's listen back to part of his chat. And I'm, I'm here in three months' time uh, to settle in 
and we begin rehearsals, I believe, the 1st or 2nd of December. Yes, and I'm playing Baron Harder. So how do you feel about coming back and doing pantomime? Oh, tremendous. I love this theatre very much, and pantomime is uh, just a great thing to do. And I found out about it when I was travelling in Eurasar uh, to London at the beginning of the year. I was going over there had to do a fashion show in Paris, Paris Fashion Week. And I checked my uh, iPhone before we went into the tunnel. And there was a request for my agent. They've come through there. They would like you to play Baron Hardup in Cinderella. And what answer should I give them? And I said, yes, 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 yes. So, and here I am. Uh, at the open day at the theatre, and I've just been reading uh, on two occasions uh, the story of Cinderella. So what is it that you like about doing pantomime here at the Theatre Royal? Uh, well, first of all, I like the stage, the actual stage you are on. Uh, it's a very friendly stage. Uh, and sometimes before the show starts, if there are not too many people on stage, and if the safety curtain is up, I will walk on stage, and if the auditorium is lit, I stand there in complete silence and look into the auditorium. I try to do it in whatever theatre I'm playing, but particularly this theatre, because I've always enjoyed myself here, and I'm going to enjoy myself uh, this time. Uh, the audience is here, because uh, when you consider an audience, uh, they come in as disparate people, separate people coming in, and they then become one... Uh, animal called the audience and uh, you know immediately you walk on stage if they're going to like you or not and if they like you it's a breeze if they're not it's a very long evening but the uh, audience as I find here are uh, just open and warm and they laugh and do everything uh, that I love audiences to do and you have silent moments as well and uh, some of the parts I played in pantomime here uh, you can give, uh, you know what you can say, and, and I will show you what I mean by giving you a silent moment. And then you pick it up, you see, and you know the audience are with you. We'd love to go through all your career, but we'd need a sort of six-part podcast to do that. Oh, I can give you that. Yes, I know. <laughs> I'm going home you at four, though. That's the <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not leaving until seven, so... Yeah, well. It's going to be a long night. It's going to be a long night. But you, you came to acting actually quite late, didn't you? I came to acting in my early 30s. I used to be a banker. And uh, I left school at 15 and I had nothing. I have no qualifications. Uh, and I have no... Academically, I'm not clever. And so you become aware as I keep talking. Uh, so what I've learned, I just learned with nerve and get up and do it. So I had a little job for six months and then I walked into the bank with my mother in tow. And those days, that's what happened. And uh, I simply say, can I have a job in a bank? I mean, look, they gave it to me. <laughs> and I was there for 14 years. And by the end of my time, I was in charge of foreign currency and travel checks and things like this, uh, with a staff of about three or four. But I had always wanted to act from a very early age. And I come from behind the curtains and all, you know, precocious. Um, and then I learned to play the piano. Uh, so this feeling grew and grew and grew. And I remember at the Roxy Theatre during Panto, I went uh, uh, to the toilet, I was a young boy, and I saw this um, dancer, and he had a silk dressing gown, and he was like this, taking in the evening sun. I thought, yes, that's it. 
And this feeling grew and grew. It wasn't this flash of light or seeing anything in particular. Uh, the feeling grew and grew that I wanted to act. Uh, so I went to drama school and I was there for three years and I, I won uh, a diploma in dramatic art kind of thing. Um, and I started acting there. And my first job was a Shakespeare miscellany and the Brianway's Children's Theatre to get your union card. So we toured for three months in London and the north of England and they liked us so much they asked us back again. So you had to have so many weeks in your card in those days. And that is uh, how I started. And I got my own contracts for I think the first three or four jobs. And then I thought I must get an agent. <laughs> and here you are. And here I am. Is anyone a glass? It is water. <laughs> it's not gin, really. Yeah. Ask me another. <laughs> in, t in terms of your career and, and the things that you've done. Yes. Are there particular parts that you've done on the theatre stage that have been particularly challenging that you look back at? Oh, yeah. I'm, really, I'm really glad I did that. Oh, yes. I mean, there, there, are, there are several. Uh, I think the big one is King Lear. And I played King Lear. Um, and we did this, uh, I think it was Southwark Playhouse in London. We didn't play there, we played elsewhere. And then we took it to uh, the Republic of Ireland. And we opened in Cork Opera House. And do you remember Douglas Fairbanks Jr.? Anybody remember Douglas Fairbanks Jr.? Yeah? And in my dressing room at Cork Opera House was a big painting of Douglas Fairbanks Jr. kind of looking down on me every time I went in. So uh, I played King Lear. Um, Arnolf and a French play called La Colle du Femme, La Colle du Femme, The School for Wives. And the man is never off stage, I think for about three minutes. Uh, monumental parts. And one I did, uh, I think it was two or three years ago, at the uh, Tate Modern in London. And we did this play in an installation, uh, roughly the size of this room. And it's called The Mother, an unsavory play in two acts and an epilogue. It's a Polish play, translated into English. And the director was uh, um, an artist, and she, we were in her artistic thing made up in the room. And I played the mother. And uh, when I was asked to go and see her, I said, I mean, it's the, the one who's seen me for the mother, I said yes. So I went along and I said, the mother is a part I want to play, but it's a woman's part. So I read, and I played the mother. And she was a horrendous woman into drugs and alcohol and knitting. <laughs> and at that time, of course, I didn't, I hadn't the beard, uh, because I'd been doing a few days before the, the casting uh, a shoot for Hong Kong, fashion for Hong Kong, in London. So I didn't have the beard. And I got the part. And I thought, God, what do I do? I have no idea, what do I do with the part? So we uh, started rehearsal, we went for wardrobe, and I said, she must have red shoes. And uh, we had this wonderful long gown, and I got a cheap wig from Hoxton Market. And so I wanted to do that, I wanted to do that. And uh, I have certain implants, and I took them out, and there was the mother. And that was a huge challenge to do, huge challenge. Uh, but I love doing it, I mean, there's so many parts. Uh, the old Travers Theatre in Edinburgh, uh, where they have new plays, writing new plays all the time. And I did uh, several new plays, one of which took me to Australia and fell in love with Australia. 
And then I went back again with Hamlet, as a Gurel Bimov, uh, Russian director. Uh, so these are the major kind of things. I mean, many more. But these are the ones that come to my mind at the moment. I wanted to ask, because you just touched on it there, you have a parallel career as well. Because yes. Because you're uh, a fashion model. I'm a fashion well. model. Tell us about that. Well, I started modeling when I was 57. I uh, started acting in my early 30s. I started modeling when I was 57. And I got, that came about uh, by, as an actor uh, doing a Guinness campaign, big billboards for Germany. But I was not a model. I was, I was simply just an actor. And Dieter, the photographer, he passed the photographs onto a German fashion designer called Doris Hartwich. And Doris is the only female designer in Germany to design only for men. And she liked my look and asked me to do a 99-2000 order winter collection. So they flew me to Dusseldorf and I was shot just me for two days. So they asked me, Dieter was doing Polaroids. Now you do it very instantly and uh, Polaroids, so you had to look through the thing under this glass and said, you must look at yourself. And I said, no, I don't want to. It'll make me too aware of what I'm doing. And uh, so he said, no, you must. So I went down and I said, oh my God, I like this. He said, why aren't you modeling? I said, well, I, I don't know. I mean, look at me. Uh, I'm not you know, 18, I'm 57. And I said, it doesn't matter, how do you feel? And I said, I feel emboldened by the whole thing. I feel it's a revelation. And I love being in your studio. And for me, the great thing is the sensitivity of the photographer. You're trying to capture one or two photographs, or half a dozen, or in Doris's case, the whole book of me. So uh, they say, well, why aren't you? I said, well, I don't know. What do I do? Tell me what to do. So they told me what to do. And I, I love being told what to do. <laughs> I, I do. I do. And they tell me what to do, and uh, I, I did it. They take your uh, book to Models One in London, and Dieter brought the book to my flat in London, and uh, I said, well, what do I do now? So we take it to Models One, and uh, I jumped on the bus and took it there. And I didn't hear anything for two weeks. And I thought, oh, so then I, I phoned, not backward and coming forward, and I said, I've gave my book. I said, I just wondered if there's any feedback. I said, yes, David, we love your photographs very much. And the bookers are coming from holiday, so we'll call you. And they called me. And I went in two days later and sat at a desk, not dissimilar to this. And uh, within about 20 minutes, I was a fashion model. And I said, look, I know how I look. Uh, I can look like death warmed up, <laughs> which is a really good look. Or I can look really brilliant and I know what I can do. Uh, and I said, if you work for me, I will do the best. And I mean, Nate, feel free to name drop. What countries and labels have you, have you modeled for and where have you made? Because you've, you've been all over the globe, really. Well, kind of. Uh, the I think the first major, was the first major one? I was in Santa Barbara in California for, it was an Italian label. Um, gosh, what was that? I can't remember now. Uh, but I was in Santa Barbara, so when I was there, I took the time to wander around, go to Hollywood and things like that. Um, uh, gosh, what's the name? Uh, but I've done Santa Barbara. Uh, uh, I didn't shoot for Hong Kong. I wasn't in Hong Kong, uh, but I did shoot for Hong Kong. Uh, Dusseldorf in Germany, of course, and the catwalk there. Milan, uh, for Etro in Milan. I did two catwalk shows there. 
Uh, and they do it on a huge ice rink. And it's the longest catwalk I've ever done. And I said to the guy behind me, if I'm not back in five minutes, you must try and come and find me. <laughs> so they, uh, I, gosh, I'm trying to remember where else I've been. You were on a big billboard in New York. I was on a billboard. Oh, yeah, yes. In Soho in New York. It was, that was part of the shoot I did in, in Milan with Emilio Tini, the photographer. And um, I didn't know until later that there was a huge billboard in Soho, New York, um, with me and this other lady. There's this lady, a huge. Uh, and another one, I was in, oh, where was I? I went to uh, Mexico City uh, to shoot something there, as well as for the same company, uh, Palacio de Hierro, which means Palace of Iron. And when I was in New Mexico, Mexico City, People kept looking and looking and looking at me. I said, well, apart from the freakish look I have, I said to the guys when I went, well, why did they keep looking at me? Because for the last year, you've been in all billboards in Mexico. <laughs> so, I mean, the most recent thing, I was in Paris in January, and I went to Palma, Mallorca, and uh, I've just finished in uh, near Paris doing a big fashion shoot for uh, Bompard, Derek Bompard, uh, Kashmir people. Uh, and then I stayed a few more days in Paris before I came home. Uh, but gosh, there's many, many places. Yes. We'll open up for questions in a minute, but I know there's one other thing that you wanted to talk about, which is the work that you've been doing uh, highlighting cinemas in. Oh, cinemas. Oh, yes, yes. yes. I know something quite important. Uh, have you in the cinema seen a commercial with Simon Pegg and a little girl? And the little girl has been in hospital more than she's been out of hospital. Uh, it's called uh, Medicinema, like medicine cinema. Uh, a year and a half ago, I, I was in hospital uh, for three months, seriously ill. Um, I went well on this very much, but I had a, an infection in my lower spine, and the pain was just horrendous, just horrendous. And I then lost my ability to walk. So I ended up crashing on the floor, uh, crawling on my hands and knees. Now, to cut it very short, uh, I phoned the ambulance the next day and I stayed in the hospital. And I was lying on my back for 12 days, unable to do anything. Everything had to be done for me. <clears throat> so Simon, who is in charge of the cinema in the hospital, he said, David, have you come in to see the movie this afternoon? And I said, well, darling, I can't. I can't walk and I can't sit. Hold on, I'm just in bed. He said, well, we'll take you in your bed. I said, you're choking me. I said, what do you mean? Is it a room with a television? I said, no. It's a state-of-the-art cinema, and they have a state-of-the-art cinema in Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, and that is where the Simon Pegg commercial with the little girl was shot. And I was wheeled in, in my bed, and they have uh, chairs for visitors here. There's space here for uh, wheelchairs, and further back, you have room for four beds. So there was me, wheeled in by the volunteers, into the cinema. And I went to see every movie I could. Uh, the only time I couldn't go is if uh, doctors were coming around to check them or whatever. And I saw some really wonderful old movies. And the only one I couldn't understand was Star Wars. Not alone. Because I haven't been keeping up to date. And I'm in one of them doing a voice for a kind of watery creature thing. And George Lucas was in the uh, booth with me. And he said, I want you to do something, a watery voice. I said, I beg your pardon. 
<laughs> a worse, I got no. Anyway, uh, I was wheeled in to the cinema, and I was wheeled back out for three months, and they made me a patient ambassador for medicine, which I'm very proud of. And I will give talks to people about medicine and cinema and how the two can correlate and help in a patient recovery. Because when, as in my instance, I'd never been ill in my life until it just happened, 3.30 in the morning, on the 25th of August, 2017, I woke with hellish pain in my back. Um, so I give talks about, because when you were in the ward, as my case, it's very alien to me, and I thought it was all a big mistake, and uh, a car will come and pick me up and take me back again. You know, why am I here? I have no idea. So then you go into the cinema in my bed, and you are in a, immediately in an environment you know, even before the movie starts. Um, and then the movie starts, and you feel no pain. It's as simple as that. So what they're trying to do, I think there are six hospitals with cinemas in the country, and mine was Chelsea and Westminster in London. And what they're trying to do, of course, is gain funds to build more cinemas, because it really does help. It's the answer, and it's quite simple. All you need to do is get the money to build the cinema. And uh, for me, it's, I mean, I've given two speeches to film people. And one was in the actual cinema itself in Chelsea, Westminster. And that was my first time back after learning to walk again and being back. So I went in and I managed through it okay until the end when I got rather emotional. But the, I said to the people sitting, the film people, I said, you're sitting where people have sat before you, patients. And I sat up there, which I called a dress circle. And they, I got a laugh for that. And uh, people will come in after you and sit there. And you are in the business. And these people, it makes a big difference to their lives. They may not tell you so, but it does. But I told them so. I said, it's amazing. And my second time I spoke was on Halloween, 31st of October. Uh, to a film people in a, a, a big room in a club in London. And of course, it's bad enough to you know, strange talking to film people anyway, but they were dressed as Halloween characters. <laughs> so there's me, <laughs> they're never going to listen to what I say. And uh, I got up and I was wearing my kilt. And of course, there are a lot of whistles for the kilt, you see. And uh, you expect that. And then I said, hello, I'm David Gant, I'm the man in the kilt. And uh, hey! And I said, uh, I'm an actor, hey, I'm also a model, woo hoo, count So we're all running through the form. And then I say, I also go to the gym six days a week. And ooh, like this. And I said, on the 25th of August 2017, at 3.30 in the morning, my life changed. And the room went deadly silent. So I had them. And for me, it was like doing stand-up which I've never done, but I'd love to, and it's just, you have to lace a serious story with jokes or something funny, or you'll lose them immediately. So uh, that was it, and I was never as glad of a glass of alcohol <laughs> at the end of it, but the uh, medicine is very, very, uh, very dear to my heart, yes, yes. And I still go back from time to time to the cinema in Chelsea and Westminster to watch the movies, yes. 
Well, we've talked pantomime, we've talked <coughs> your career, we've yeah. talked about medicine. Does anyone else? Oh, I play the piano. Oh, you play. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't plugged that in. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I don't do electric pianos. Oh, no, <laughs> only, only a Stein. <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody else got any questions? Oh, please ask me something. Yeah, any I questions love about pantomime? Questions. <clears throat> anything you want. What has been your favourite pantomime role that you have played and which one would you most like to play? Where did he come from? <laughs> <laughs> you mean here or... I've not done many pantos. Anywhere, you mean? Anywhere. Well, I've done most here. I've done four and I'm doing my fifth and Christmas. Oh, John. Well, first of all, I, I played the character of Merlin in Sleeping Beauty, my first one here. And I played Merlin on film. I played him in television, etc., uh, in Canada and Lithuania and things, uh, for television. But I've never played him on stage. Uh, I've played him since. I, did, I played him at Edinburgh Festival 2016. Um, I think that one... Uh, but... If you ask me what is uh, the best entrance I've had <laughs> in pantomime, it was in Sleeping Beauty, and I played uh, uh, Leonardo, who was a kind of Merlin-type character, and they flew me in, uh, not on a harness thing, but on chair, similar, not on similar, with wires up here, and I made my first entrance coming in the proscenium arch. And uh, that is my best entrance. Uh, Richard Gauntlet, who writes the panto, and uh, is this year playing the fairy godmother, I believe. Yes, yes. Uh, Richard uh, wrote me the best line that I've had in anything that's been written for me, and it was in uh, uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, uh, 2016. Was it 16? It yes. Was, yes. I know <coughs> and I mean, it will probably mean nothing here, but you need to. Uh, it's not the line, but it, well, it is the line, but it's uh, with any funny line, uh, it's the build up to the line as well. And you had uh, Richard and Ben uh, babbling on a button. Uh, I, I, I went on, have you seen my daughter Jolene or something? Mm -hmm. And it was Jolene, and it was all Jolene playing about with words like this. That, and I thought, what, what's going on? So, as uh, Sheriff Phil Hiccup, I walked down to the front of the stage and I let them keep babbling on and babbling on. And then they stop, and it's my line. But I didn't come in with it. You just pause. And then come in. I gave up a season of Shakespeare for this. And some nights it got applause. And it's a brilliant line, a brilliantly timed by the guys behind and what happened. And uh, when I knew, they had to wait till I said the line, you see. So you wait till the audience settles, you wait till they die down and think, what is this guy going to say? And then they're immediately supposed to come in, and some nights I just put my hand up to stop them. <laughs> and you saw the faces. And then when I felt it was time, you went, and now. And then they came on. So I've had the best entrance, and I've had the best line in the theatre. The part I like to play, I don't know. I think I don't know. I have no answer to that. Uh, people normally think I would play a villain, but I have never played a villain. In television and film and things like that, yes, but not in panto. But I like playing Baron Hardup. And I love him, and this is for Richard Gauntlet out there. I love to sing one little song, and it's an appropriate song. 
and it's from Guys and Dolls. And Baron Hardup could do it uh, to Cinderella. And it's more I cannot wish you than to wish you find your love, your own true love this day. Now, if that doesn't give me a song, I don't know. What <laughs> but I, I would just love to. Uh, I'm not a trained singer, but I can sell a song, and that is the appropriate song. Richard. <laughs> <laughs> it's been noted. Any ask, other oh, please ask me something else. Yes, any other questions? What's my favourite food? <laughs> your favourite fairy tale growing up? So, uh, What's your, what was your favourite fairy tale when you were growing up? Oh, gosh, I can't. Well, uh, the prelude to that is. Um, when I was in bed, my mother and father would read fairy tale stories to me. Uh, I had a Rumpelstiltskin. I'm, I'm not sure. I truly am not sure. <laughs> How do you start getting into the role for a character like Leah? I look how much they're paying me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the answer is uh, I don't know. It's a kind of amalgamation of things. For Leah, uh, I must admit I was never a huge fan of Shakespeare when I was young because I could not, simply couldn't understand the language as most young people can't. And even when I started acting, I played my Berlioz and Prosper and things, I was never 100% his greatest fan until I played King Lear. What you do is you start with the premise that you can't do it. And why the hell have they asked me to do it? Uh, what am I going to do? As with the mother, I played the mother. Um, so you just, I don't know, it comes from the language. Uh, now I am the most brilliant playwright. And you go into the language. You must understand the language. If you don't understand the language, the audience won't understand what you're doing. And you try to make it as real as possible and still maintain the rhythm, because he has rhythm in his language. Uh, I don't know, I started off with a glass of red wine. <laughs> and then I threw the script against the wall several times, thinking, I, I, I simply can't do this. I simply can't. But I did. And uh, it took me a long time. And I, what I wanted to do was memorize my lines and kind of some of the others. I, I was a can't too much. But kind of know where you come in. So when I began rehearsals, of which we didn't have a great deal of time, uh, I would know my lines. And sometimes I was really, you know, just the skin of my teeth trying to get by. But we were in rehearsal. So that's how I started. And I started with the major speeches first. You know, Tender Lords of France and Burgundy and Gloucester, and Blow Winds and Crackle Cheeks, the storm scene. So you learn the big ones. And then I found the more I got into his language, uh, the more the lines came to me. But every night with Leah, as with anything else I do, and with the pantomime, I have my script, like you have your book, I have my script in my dressing room, and I always refer to it. Uh, you know, some, some people don't need to. I probably don't need to, but I do, because you can always find something different or something extraordinary. And what Shakespeare does, uh, and you're sorry you asked the question, <laughs> what, what Shakespeare does, he trips you up at times because 
you think you know what you're doing. You think you know the lines. And all of a sudden, you come out with a line which you've delivered every night. You say, oh my God, I, I can't remember remembering, rehearsing. But you do, because you have to believe in what you're doing. Uh, with Shakespeare, with anything you do, acting, you must believe it 100%. Even if you're playing a bad guy, you have to find some good in him. Uh, and I think the worst guy I played was on film, a German piece. And uh, he was just, he would kill children. He'd just go, and walk away. And he was really vile. But you have to find something. You must find something, maybe not good in him, but something uh, that appeals to you. One final question from anybody. Um, who was or is your inspiration? For acting? No one. There was no one inspired me. Uh, when people say what made you come into acting, it's not I, I, I didn't see someone on stage or a film. I go, oh my gosh, I, I want to ask. Act. Uh, I have favourite actors and things and actresses, but it was a feeling. It's an inside, it's a feeling in the stomach. It's here, and unless you want to act a hundred percent of your being, you don't do it. Uh, and I remember when I went to drama school in Glasgow, and uh, the then assistant uh, principal, long gone now, and he would tell us later when students would be students came in, and he said, "If you don't become an actor, a student." Act what would you go and do? Oh, I'm going to be a hairdresser, I'm going to be a clerk. He said, well, go and do it. Uh, so when you're nobody, uh, what you, the answer to your question is nobody. Uh, it's a feeling inside. And there are times when you're acting, no matter how long you've been acting, and it just takes you by surprise. You have that feeling inside you ah, that you're doing what you want to do. And it's not all plain sailing. David, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank and you. David will be back here along with the rest of the cast. I will. Pantomime this Christmas. You must come. Oh, yes, he will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, they will. <laughs> it's been great fun. Thank you. It's been good. And you can catch David plus Joe, Amanda, Norwich Theatre Royal Panto favourite, Richard Gauntlet, and many more in Cinderella from December the 17th to January the 19th. That's the end of our show this month. Thanks to David Gant. Helen Tully and our many open day visitors. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Acast or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Let us know what you liked and what you want to hear in future episodes and thank you very much for listening to Interval, the Norwich Theatre Royal podcast.